Hey everybody, before we roll into this week's episode, I had a couple of notes that I wanted to add before it started, uh, just so I didn't forget them or lose any of you at the back end of it. So uh, first off, it's now November, which means it is Movember, and I'm participating again this year. I'm participating in the move for Movember, so my goal is to run 60 kilometers this month, which for me is a pretty big deal because I hate running. So uh, that's what I'm aiming to do, and I've got my Movember space set up and I'm going to be trying to plaster all the social media feeds with that link so that you could donate if you're so inclined. Now, none of that money ever touches my account first. It's just donated directly to Movember, which is in support of prostate cancer, men's mental health. It's basically, you know, it's a, it's a month set up for, for men and raising awareness, right? So something that I'm very passionate about. And if you have a few bucks laying around and you'd like to donate, I'd be extremely thankful for that. Uh, I'm going to be running again the 60Ks and I'm going to try to keep updating that as we go along. Now, the other note that I wanted to add is I was recently on a panel for the Independent Thought podcast with Desmond. I love that podcast. I love having these discussions. And anyway, he just uploaded two more of the panel segments from the most recent one, but they're only on YouTube. So if you'd like to go to YouTube, search up the Independent Thought channel It has to do with the vaccine mandates and then the banning of vaccine misinformation on YouTube in particular, but across different social media platforms. So if you'd like to watch those two panels, I'd really appreciate it. You know, write in the comments that you're here from Plaid Jacket Philosopher if you'd you'd like to, but those are both uploaded, ready to go. And so here we go into this week's episode. Hey, my name is Zach, and this is the Plaid Jacket Philosopher, the podcast for tradespeople and the blue collar middle class. I'm open to punch a few holes in the stereotypes that surround blue-collar workers and hopefully share a lot of the stories behind how we got into our line of work and the honest joy you can get from working outside of the office space. The plan is to mix in interviews as well as some solo stories from job sites, fatherhood, and personal experiences that led me to where I am today. Some will be funny, some will be personal, but hopefully any and all content here can help broaden what your opinion is of the blue-collar middle class. Hey, hey, welcome to another week. Sorry I missed last one. Uh, <laughs> we, uh, we've we been moving our oldest son down into the basement, which is where I've typically recorded all of my podcast episodes. Uh, he's kind of getting to that age where, uh, well, we just don't want him in the same room with his younger brother anymore. Uh, we don't want any of that, uh, you know, he's starting to get to that, or he's getting close to that uh, jerkin age, so we just don't want our youngest to catch a drive-by one of these days, so... We're taking the proactive step, moving him down into his own room, getting everything set up for that. So it's really eaten into my podcasting time and ultimately my rhythm of this thing because I, I find that I need to kind of spend a bit of time down there writing, uh, just speaking out notes and listening to how it sounds coming back to myself before I actually record anything. So anyway, I'm I'm recording in my kid's playroom right now, which isn't very easy to do. It's... Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm always worried that I'm going to wake one of them up. So anyway, my uh, my recording schedule is thrown all off, and hopefully I can get uh, get this thing out kind of fairly consistently week to week. But if not, I'm once uh once the holidays come here, I'm going to build a dividing wall down there and kind of frame in my own little office area. But in the meantime, it might be a little bit more sporadic. So I'm hoping hoping to keep this thing up every week, if not every second week. But it's going to maintain some kind of uh, regularity hopefully, but just figured I'd give you guys a heads up where everything's at, why it's, why I missed a week and why I may miss another week here or there coming up, trying to figure out other ways to record, but it's not always easy with the four kids and trying to keep it while they're sleeping without waking them up when I do tend to record these things. So 
that's a quick update as to why I didn't get an episode out last week and why I may not get an episode out every week here for the next little bit uh, heading into the new year. Anyway, uh, let's head into this week. This week, we're going to talk about kind of courage and safety in general and society and, you know, whether society serves the individual or the individual is meant to serve society and, you know, all the different stuff that comes along with that. So to start this off, I'm actually going to play, like I had said uh, a couple weeks ago, I got a few submissions for kind of one year advice that people have gotten, different podcasters, different friends who I've met throughout this kind of last year's journey. And this year I've, or this episode, I've got um, a little excerpt from Mark from Hey Mark. So I'm just going to play that now and then we'll talk about it and roll it into the, uh, the episode here. Hey, what's up? What is going on? It's Mark here from Hey Mark, podcast about mental health and self-development. And I'm chatting with Zach. This is for you, plaid jacket philosopher. I just wanted to tell you about a couple of the lessons I've learned from my first year of podcasting. The very first one is you really understand who's going to support you. You know, not always going to be your friends and family members, though obviously it's amazing when they do. But a lot of the support that you're going to get is from the random people that just really resonate and really understand the messages that you're trying to put out there. And they really connect with it. And then they share with their friends and they want to watch you grow. Whereas some of your friends or family members might have some doubts in the very beginning. In fact, a lot of them might try and quote unquote rationalize your demise. They might try and talk you out of trying to chase your dreams because they might be unachievable in their eyes. And so at the end of the day, you kind of have to say what you think and believe everything you say because the people that mind really don't matter and the people who matter really won't mind even if they disagree with you people are going to be pissed at you no matter what and the idea behind the message that i'm giving you right now is let them be pissed at you for the fact that you're being yourself rather than being pissed at you for pretending to be something that you're not and just always remember why you started thank you so much brother and congratulations on hitting your one year So I'm sure many of you will recognize that voice. That's Mark from the podcast. Hey, Mark. Uh, Thanks, man, for that that submission. I really appreciate it. And I really like what you're talking about here, too, as far as even just, you know, there's a lot of nerves when it comes to putting anything out on your own. It doesn't have to be a podcast. It could just be taking a stance or voicing an opinion or, you know, really anything that goes against the current zeitgeist like that. That could be anything (laughs) you know it could be a a post you share on social media it could be uh, a talking point that you have whatever in your private life or at work or with coworkers, with friends with family with whatever right there's always nerves associated to that like I know for example at the beginning of this thing like I was ashamed or just scared you know of uh of talking about this stuff because you're always worried about what people are going to think of you, what uh, what opinions they may hold or, you know, they may view you differently. Uh, but he puts it pretty succinctly there and, you know, uh, just not worrying about it in, you know, being true to yourself anyway. Uh, it's the only way you're really going to ever be happy is taking that courageous first step or just living out what it is you really want to do because, you know, if you're always just living to please everybody else, uh, nobody's ever going to put you first. So sometimes you really have to do that. And it may be uncomfortable. It may mean speaking out about something that, you know, you 
you don't necessarily gain a lot of support for at the beginning. Um, but what what is really interesting about this, and this is kind of just jumping now off of the idea that Mark had said. Uh, so I'm reading this book right now. Well, it's pretty well known. It's more of a, an epic poem, but it's uh, Dante's Inferno. And I'm going to be honest, it is stretching to the absolute limit my ability to read and my comprehension because I'm not very strong with poetry as it is. It was never something that I found all that interesting in school. I did it because I had to, and that's it. But now, I don't know, the more I read, it's just, it's more interesting, right? And so one of the lines that I came across recently in the book that kind of speaks to this topic today so it says, uh, but then I felt the threat of shame, which makes a servant in his kind Lord's present brave. And that's from Canto 17 in Dante's Inferno. So what that's talking about is, again, you know, you you feel this sense of shame. But as long as, you know, in his kind Lord's presence, that could be, you know, whatever, whatever you're serving, whatever your ultimate higher goal is, that as long as it abides by that and you're being true to yourself and to that greater calling whatever it is in your life that it'll make you brave but the only way that you really feel that sense of bravery or courage is when you're going through something that requires it I mean if you're just going along playing it safe and you know carrying the same standard that society has set for you there's no real opportunity to exercise that bravery or that courage because it only gets called out in times of, you know, where it's it's a little bit trickier. You've got those obstacles to overcome. You've got challenges or hardships or whatever it is. But the only way that you can really fully realize your potential is by going through those. And that'll call up whatever courage you have or whatever level of bravery you've got inside you. But the only way to really ever unlock that is to face challenges and to go through something that isn't easy. And I mean, again, like Mark had alluded to and what I was talking about, like these stances can often, you know, challenge or impact your social circle, right? Um, you know, it'll test friendships, it'll test even family relations as, you know, anybody who's living through 2020 to 2021 will realize like there are a lot of things that seem to seep into family relationships too, which is something that I personally haven't experienced before. I mean, even political opinions before this point, uh, never fractured families that I experienced anyway. I imagine they may have uh, down in the States more where it seems to be a little bit more polarized, but in Canada now it's it's following that same line of thinking and with everything that's gone on with the pandemic and the associated response, uh, those opinions have really proven to fracture family ties too, which is something that I didn't really see coming. Um, but, you know, it's it's becoming more and more evident that these are... There are firmly entrenched sides to this, right? Which is unfortunate. Um, it's, it's sad because, you know, I don't think that, you know, I personally am not going to ostracize any family member for a stance that they take on just about anything. I mean, I'm sure there are a few things that if push came to shove, I don't know. I just haven't experienced them. But anything that I've experienced up to this point, um, no, it hasn't come down to that. But now, you know, I'm, I'm feeling that effect from other family members and, it is what it is. It's unfortunate, but, you know, going through the fire, you really you really find out what's left on the other side after all the kind of the surface level stuff is burned away, right? You find out what the, the foundations are and what you're really standing on. And so, if anything, maybe I'll take that as a positive. might take a few years to realize it, but it is what it is. But 
again, so after all these negative impacts that, you know, taking that courageous first step or whatever, speaking out to whatever really is inside of you, whatever's guiding you, after that initial (laughs) burning away of the service level shit, you're going to start to find people will gravitate towards you. You know, when you start to stand for something, others of a similar mindset start to kind of seek you out. You guys, you form little communities or little, I don't know, I mean, friendships. You just forge new friendships. It's it's amazing how that happens, right? And so even when you are kind of taking that first step or just speaking out for the first time, like usually it'll start out as a very lonely stance or at least it'll feel that way, you know? Um, but what's amazing is that as these people start to gravitate towards you and then you start to find other people in that same circle as you, you know, that's how that's how individuals can really start to form a movement. That's how, you know, maybe you feel lonely taking that stance or voicing an opinion, but as soon as you do, other people will start to seek you out who share that same mindset. It's kind of like a, a calling card or like a Batman symbol, whatever, that I'll, or Commissioner Gordon would always shine to the... To the sky when you needed Batman's help, but you you shine that bat signal, and then all of a sudden, you know, you've got other people by your side, and that's a terrible uh, way to look at it. But whatever, uh, it is what it is. Like you 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 guys kind of understand the the visual I'm trying to put there. So again, that's how those individual thoughts or stances can really turn into a movement, and you can quite honestly, be the reason that someone else has the courage to make a stand of their own, right? Like, that that's how you start to gain momentum. And so that's all, that's all really just bouncing off of Mark's initial idea there. Uh, kind of the fear associated with starting anything or standing up for anything or making, taking a stance that's against the current day zeitgeist. And, you know, it, at first, at first it feels pretty lonely, but then you start to you start to develop a movement, you start to develop a crowd, and it's it's pretty amazing what can happen from an individual opinion or taking a stance that is kind of counterintuitive to the group or to society. So now transitioning this into society and, you know, the, the almost uh, need to kind of step out of your comfort zone and to push forward with something else. I mean, you know, I don't think that, and I'm this is kind of echoing other opinions that I've read and heard, but I don't think that safety should ever be a first order principle or value in society ever. Uh, You know, commonplace like nowadays, you can look up uh, Mike Rowe and his popular saying is safety third. And basically that's because, you know, he talks about how no, no individual, no business, no, no venture, nothing, nothing moves forward with the, their main motive being safety you know that's not how you actually forge ahead that's not how you how you get by I mean it's something that should be kept in mind at all times but you know what he argues is the fact that safety has become an industry of itself that it actually takes away our personal responsibility because we always expect uh, others or the parameters put in place to keep us safe while we kind of ignore our own part to play in that and our own role in that so Anyway, that's just, Mike Rowe does a very good job of explaining that idea in his safety third um, policy. So you can look that up if you want to, but that's kind of what it's talking about. And I I definitely tend to agree with that. Uh, we really need to take responsibility for our own safety. 
um, you know, not get complacent because that is what that tends to breed. But anyway, so what we're talking about here is stepping outside of our bounds, stepping outside of that safety zone and actually pushing forward with our own path, right? So uh, Albert Camus actually, you know, he's a, a fairly famous French philosopher, but he says, one of his quotes is, danger makes men classical and all greatness after all is rooted in risk. And that's from uh, Resistance, Rebellion and Death by Albert Camus. And so what he's talking about here is, you know, much like that micro philosophy is that, you know, safety shouldn't be the driving factor in anybody's lives. You know, you want to get forward, you want to challenge something, you want to, you want to be viewed as somebody who's capable and who's dependable and, you know, independent at the same time, like somebody who's, who can really forge their own path, that all comes rooted in risk, that comes in facing danger head on, that, that, that's just a mentality. And when you have safety as the prime virtue in a society, it completely dulls that. It it takes the edge right off of it. And now we're no longer trying to move forward, trying to forge ahead. It's all about staying in our little safe boxes. And now kind of bounced on that as well with by uh, John Stuart Mill from the book Principles of Political Economy. He says, A man who has nothing which he is willing to fight for, nothing which he cares more about than he does about his personal safety, is a miserable creature who has no chance of being free unless made and kept so by the exertions of better men than himself. And so again, like that's, that's echoing that same statement, right? Like you can, you can aim to be safe, you can, you can do your best to be safe, to, to care about the safety of everybody. But at the same time, like the, the driving force in any individual's life, and this is again, kind of the question that I was talking about earlier is whether society serves the individual or the individual serves society and community. Because you know, society, it isn't a living, breathing thing. It's not an individual, you know, it is made up of individuals. And that's, you know, the human beings that make it up. But your, your life goal is not to serve society. You know, society is there to help provide a base level for everybody, you know, everybody in the community. This is how we, you know, yes, you want to serve your community, but at the same time, you serve yourself, it's the same idea with in a plane, if it's going down, you're supposed to first put your air mask on yourself and then help your kids and help those around you because you need to take care of yourself before you're able to actually help anybody else. And that's the same way when it comes to society, to personal responsibility. You look out for yourself first and then you're able to pass that on to everybody else. But the role of the individual isn't to be subservient to the society. You know, the, the society serves the individuals within it. And now, so the last of these three little quotes that I wanted to do in this section here was from Seneca, and it's on the shortness of life. And he says, there is no reason for you to think that any man has lived long because he has gray hairs or wrinkles. He has not lived long. He has existed long. And that's something to keep in mind too, right? Because, you know, I'm not saying that I don't want to live to be an old man and get to watch my kids grow up and hopefully my grandkids and who knows, maybe even my great grandkids grow up one day. I don't know. I mean, that's my grandpa is able to do that. He's able to watch his great grandkids take their first steps and go to school. And, you know, that's great. And he's I wouldn't say that he's lived a life of safety by any means. He was in the Navy. He's served. He's gone around the world on warships and, you know, manned the guns and 
I think that's incredible that, you know, he's lived a full life. And that's what I would like to do too, is to live a full life. But I don't want to live it being scared and, and worrying about everything that's outside of my control or, you know, worrying that, that some boogeyman is always going to, going to get me because even my dad had explained this to me before that I think I had, I had talked about this in a recent episode actually, because I, I, it brought up the conversation again with him, but I remember he had said that in the cold war and following around with that, he was really worried that the nuclear strike could happen whenever. And it gave him this sense of dread. Like, what is the point of going to work? What is the point of doing anything if everything is just going to end at the drop of a hat? And it paralyzed him for a little bit. And I remember talking to him about that. And I actually brought it up again to him because I said, you know, like, that's kind of how I'm feeling nowadays. Like, it just feels like society is on the brink. And it's causing a little bit of paralysis in my life going forward. And what I plan on doing and my outlook for everything and you know my level of optimism for my kids and you know questioning whether it was the right decision to even have kids right because when you've got threats like this like you know I mean to make it more mythical when you, when it feels like you're surrounded by dragons like why would you bring kids into this world and I read another quote somewhere else but I, I'm not quoting it directly but you know when people are worried about raising kids like you know we could be raising dragon slayers in the era of dragons. And that's not a direct quote, and I've, I've probably butchered it, but the idea there is pretty amazing. You know, if you can raise your kids to fight through this stuff, to be able to withstand this level of pressure, like, who knows what you could be setting them up for in the future? You know, they, they could be the most competent and capable people we've ever raised, we've ever sent out into society. So it's really changed my outlook on a lot of things to be more optimistic, to kind of see the bright side on things, to see people, you know, starting to stand up to, to different forms of, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. But anyway, to, to just see people stand up and to say enough is enough. Uh, because, you know, ultimately, and this is the, again, part that rolls into the optimism, but also just becoming more fortified is the idea that anything that we don't stand up to, within our lifetimes, we are automatically pushing off to our kids. And I don't know, you know, if you don't have kids, then this may not be that applicable to you. But I can promise you that if you do have kids, um, this is something that probably crosses your mind. And if it doesn't, it should because, you know, anything that you see now that may impact their freedoms in the future, their ability to move around, their ability to socialize, their ability to work, whatever to to search out and forge their own path in life, you know, any of these blockages, these blockades that we see now, like it should be up to us to demolish them and flatten them and give them as many opportunities moving forward as we possibly can. Because anything that, you know, any issues that I don't deal with now, I'm putting off and digging a deeper pit for my kids to dig out of in the future. And that's really where I find a lot of strength and fortitude and, you know, courage nowadays is, well, do I really want to put this off? Just, you know, cower in my own house, in my bedroom and push this off for my kids to deal with one day? Like, fuck no. That's not me. That's that's not that's not the person that my parents raised me to be. That's not how my parents were. And I'm not going to pass the buck to a future generation. That's just not going to be me.
Now, to kind of bring this full circle on the whole nuclear Cold War aspect of it, I wanted to read, it's a fairly short essay by C.S. Lewis, but it's called On Living in an Atomic Age. So bear with me here, and then we'll talk about it for a couple minutes to close this week out. So here we go. In one way, we think a great deal too much of the atomic bomb. How are we to live in an atomic age? I am tempted to reply, why, as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year, or as you would have lived in a Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat at night, or indeed, as you already are living in an age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents. In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madame, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. If we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts. Not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies, a microbe can do that too, but they need not dominate our minds. When the, what the atomic bomb has really done is to remind us forcibly of the sort of world we are living in and which, during the prosperous period before, we were beginning to forget. And this reminder is, so far as it goes, a good thing. We have been waked from a pretty dream, and now we can begin to talk about realities. It is our business to live by our own law, not by fears, to follow, in private or in public life, the law of love and temperance, even when they seem to be suicidal, and not the law of competition and grab even when they seem to be necessary to our own survival. For it is part of our spiritual law never to put survival first, not even the survival of our species. We must resolutely train ourselves to feel that the survival of man on this earth, much more of our own nation or culture or class, is not worth having unless it can be had by honorably, honorable and merciful means. Nothing is more likely to destroy a species or a nation than a determination to survive at all costs. Those who care for something else more than civilization are the only people by whom civilization is at all likely to be preserved. Those who want heaven most have served earth best. Those who love man less than God do most for man. Let the bomb find you doing well. Now that essay, again, was written by C.S. Lewis in 1948. So that was three years post, well, uh, the bombs dropped on Nagasaki and Hiroshima in Japan to end World War II. And so he really, you know, he pretty well captures probably the fear that people were living in at that time to see the absolute level of destruction that could be caused by two bombs would have been terrifying, awe-inspiring. Um, you know, I can imagine that that would fully encapsulate somebody's mind. You could, you could really be obsessed about the absolute destructive power of those two bombs after seeing what they had done. You know, much like people are in awe of you know this idea of the pandemic and the destruction that you know has been wrought by it and just the way that society has reacted to it and you know you can see that same level of fear and obsession nowadays over over COVID-19 um but you know I uh he does it he explains it very well that you can't you can't go about life gripped by fear of the atomic bomb or of coronavirus, right? Like, uh, 
this too shall pass. We all came into this world with our tickets stamped that we're exiting it one day by death. And so he really challenges that idea of, are you going to live every day obsessed with the atomic bomb and the fact that it could drop and your life could be ended at any minute? Or are you going to go about living life? And if a bomb happens to drop on you, you're going to have lived life to the fullest. You're going to have raised your kids. You're going to have read to them. You're going to be bathing them. You're going to be doing whatever it is in your everyday life. You're not going to spend every single waking minute obsessing over the off chance that an atomic bomb could be dropped in your city or on top of your house at any given minute. And like he says at the beginning of that essay as well is how, you know, <laughs> why is it any different than, you know, living in the 16th century with the plague or living through the Viking age and being raided and raped, murdered, plundered by Vikings at any given moment if you're in a coastal city. Like, you know, throughout human history, we've had terrible obstacles to deal with, whether they be, you know, man-made like the atomic bomb or, you know, as it may seem to be, you know, <laughs> gain-of-function research on COVID-19. Maybe we accelerated this thing that no longer seems to be that much of a conspiracy theory at this point, but... You know, or it's just the plague, Black Death back in the day, or Spanish flu in 1918. Like, there's all these different things that throughout history have wrought absolute destruction on humanity. And we've still managed to persevere. We've still managed to live through it, come out the other side arguably better. Maybe not, <laughs> but at least stronger, I would argue. So it's just, I really like the way that he puts it in that, that essay. And the very last line I really like a lot too let the bomb find you doing well you know if if death comes knocking you know whatever form it takes trust me we're all going to be taken by it at some point there's no way around it so whatever it is that finds you and knocks on your door one day let it find you doing well let you say that you've lived a life worth living I mean again like that that quote that I had brought up earlier is that you know, let death find you where you have lived long, not necessarily existed long. You want to live a life worth living. And at the end of the day, you know, that's, uh, I think that's a pretty hopeful and optimistic message. And again, kind of linking back to the beginning with Mark, you know, be courageous in that, that effect too. Like, you know, there's so much to be scared of. There's so much to be worried about. There's so much to honestly just get down about nowadays, but don't be. And I'm not much of a motivational speaker. I mean, here I'm talking about atomic bombs and, you know, speaking out whatever message you got inside of you and probably standing alone for the first while. But, you know, there's, you know, <laughs> we're never going to exercise that level of courage, that level of determination without these obstacles, without having to overcome something or bulldoze your way through something. And, you know, you're going to get scratched along the way. You're going to get bruised and beat up a little bit. But at the end of the day, you know, that's what you can you can show, you can be proud of. I mean, every single story that we tell our kids or, you know, fairy tales that engrossed us as as children or, you know, any any kind of narrative that we see in a movie, it's it's always about, you know, it doesn't start with some guy living in his kitchen or waking up in his in his bedroom, sitting in his kitchen all day. And then, you know, that's it. He stayed safe. No, it doesn't go that way. You know, the hero always has to go through something. They have to face danger. They face whatever is going on. They they take care of it. They vanquish it. Like, that is the whole narrative. That's what we're drawn to, and there's a reason why we're drawn to that idea. It's not because 
safety is our top virtue and that we should just stay inside and avoid everything at all costs. That's not it. You know, that that creates a real stale life. That's why you're starting to see, you know, we've seen drug overdoses going through the roof. We've seen, you know, the opium crisis just or opioid crisis continuing to escalate. Like people can't live like that. You know, there needs to be meaning. There needs to be some drive, some purpose forward. And, you know, if anything, maybe this week can help just spur you on to that. Like if you're feeling that way, because fuck, I'm telling you, I have like in the past, within the past couple of months, I've gotten completely consumed by that and just thinking like, what is the point? Like, what are we bothering to do? Well, you know, everybody's got their obstacles to go through. Everybody's got something that gives their life purpose. And it's never going to be the easiest path forward. You know, the a lot of people go through life just simply taking the path of least resistance, you know, but I, I would argue that it's a pretty, a pretty meaningless life. Um, you know, I know people like that who I wouldn't say are content at all. Uh, they just kind of take every day as it comes and that's it. And I've got other friends who, you know, aren't very financially secure. Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't look at them and say, oh, like they're doing great, but, but they've got a life's purpose and they're some of the happiest and most content and fulfilled people that I know. It's just, it's amazing, you know, it's cool to watch. And that's kind of, again, what, what gives me hope now raising kids in this age of absolute craziness and upside down world. And, <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't know, you, you've heard me talk about that before. I know I'm going to talk about it again, so I, I don't need to get that deep into it this week. So uh, anyway, reiterating, sorry I missed last week. I'm going to try to make sure this thing comes out every week, but at very worst case scenario, it'll be a bi-weekly thing until I can get my office and recording area set up again. So thanks again for this week. Um, share it if you'd like to. Uh, I've also always, or I got in a new shipment of stickers. So you guys want stickers, shoot me an email at plaidjacketphilosopher at gmail.com. I'll get those sent out to you whenever I can. Keep in mind that they're free and, you know, I pay for them myself. So <laughs> if they don't come out right away, what can I tell you? I'm, I'll get them to you one day. So anyway, have a great day and I'll talk to you all again next week. All right, everyone. That's it for today. I hope you found some value in this week's episode. If you did and are interested in more content like this, please rate, review, subscribe, and recommend the podcast to a friend. I really appreciate all the feedback you've given me to this point and look forward to hearing from you again. As always, the podcast page is The Plaid Jacket Philosopher on Facebook, at Jacket Plaid on Twitter, and at Plaid Jacket Philosopher on Instagram. That concludes this week's episode. Thank you so much for the continued support and especially to those of you who reach out weekly with comments on each episode. Have a great week and I'll talk to you all again soon.